Welcome to Nerd Out at Spotify, where we bring you behind the curtain of the world's most popular audio streaming subscription service. Machine learning, open source, clouds, tabs versus spaces. We'll talk to Spotify engineers about interesting tech issues, big and small. I'm Dave Zolotowski, principal engineer at Spotify. Last episode, we introduced you to Backstage, Spotify's homegrown developer portal. All our engineers use Backstage to manage their software components, access infrastructure tooling, find documentation, perform security and compliance checks, and pretty much everything else they need to do these days. You have your IDE, your source repo, and for everything else, there's Backstage. In 2020, Spotify open sourced Backstage and donated it to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, or the CNCF. The CNCF is also home to Kubernetes, Envoy, and many other important open source projects. So why did we open source one of our most valuable assets? And what did it take to release what has become the most ambitious open source project in Spotify's history? Do you just upload it to GitHub and call it a day? Let's find out. I'm here with Lee and Patrick, who are both maintainers of Backstage Open Source. Hi, Lee. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Dave. Hello. So, Lee, tell us what happened. Leading up to 2020, Backstage was an internally focused tool. And somewhere in the end of 2019, one of our leads at the time had been presenting some Spotify tooling, and he presented it in the way that he demoed it through Backstage. Like he'd opened up Backstage, gone to the functionality he wanted to demo, and, and talk about that. And instead, that audience was really interested in, what's this thing? What's Backstage? And then at the end of 2019, as we're kind of planning everything out, here's what we're going to do, here's where we're going to be focused, we kind of got pulled into this conversation around open source. And we had some really good conversations to kind of get a gauge of, is Backstage going to be useful for other people? We spent the end of 2019 looking at that. And in February, Spotify has this hack week and a bunch of the engineers all got together. Patrick, I believe, being one of them. Okay, we've got five days can we make an open source version of Backstage? And at the end of Hack Week, everyone gets to demo the things that they've been hacking that week. And there is a, a group of Spotify leadership that comes around and you know they're like the judges. Obviously, we made a good impression. We got third in Hack Week, which for an internal platform, that was really good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And we got a bunch of attention from Spotify leadership that were like really positive about it. Did I get an inclination that we'd end up open sourcing it literally a few weeks later? No. So we came up with this plan at the end of Hack Week that we were going to put one whole team, the team that looked after Backstage, it was six engineers. We're going to dedicate everybody to open sourcing. And the original plan was we would start with that Hack Week project of Backstage and aim for launching something in September. Obviously, we didn't open source in September of 2020. We open sourced in March, literally a few weeks after the Hack Week. And what happened in between, I flew out to London to meet with Alexis Richardson of Weaveworks. And I can remember he kind of looked at me as, well, that's fantastic. I love that you're open sourcing Backstage. Why are you doing it in September? Like, why are you not? Why, do it now. Open source it now. And even if it's not ready, you're going to build a community and people are going to come along and build it with you. At this point, my mind's kind of swirling. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure how to digest this. 
sat down with the leads of the project and said, well, hey, here's the feedback that I've just got. What do we want to do? And without even thinking, the director just turned around and said, go for it. Okay, we need to go tell the engineers. And like all the other engineers are there, kind of like, what, 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 what's happening? You know, we've just told them, you've got till September. We're like, let's plan all of this stuff out. And we're going to rock up and basically say, so um, how do you feel about open sourcing it next week? And we just blurted it out, you know, and the reactions were, there was a few kind of surprised expressions and kind of nothing for like 20, 30 seconds or something. But then the initial response came from Patrick and it was very much, okay, so what do we need to do? I was terrified, <laughs> to be blunt. It was a pretty monumental shift from let's focus and build this tool internally to all of a sudden it's like, how do we become industry leaders in that field? And to be honest, actually we didn't spend much time modifying the Hack Week project at all. Instead, we invested in like trying to explain what Backstage is, building a website around it, like putting the, here's where we're aiming, like, can you see the vision where we're going? And then opening it. And we did. We're totally caught off guard by the response. We rolled it out to GitHub and then it was on Hacker News the following day. It was a trending GitHub project a week after, something like that. We were in, that was it. The community was starting up, we were going. Really, I guess if you boil it all down, it's about particularly 10 days, the hack week, and then that week after coming back from a meeting with Alexis. And the rest is kind of history, I guess, at that point. So before we do anything else, I want to hear Patrick's version of at least those 10-ish days. You said he was on the hack week team. And then I'm sure he was on the team that worked those next five days. So indeed, I was on the Hack Week team. The Hack Week organization is kind of a little bit of internal recruitment that you do, and you kind of see how many people you end up with. And we ended up with a pretty big group of people. So we were able to take our initial idea, which was kind of, let's see what this would look like in the open. And we went for just, let's let's rebuild this. Let's play around with some technology. We tried, you know re-implemented it in gRPC for the communication and some of those technology choices that we kind of wanted to play around with. So yeah, Hack Week was intense work to rebuild the entire thing from scratch, more or less. Now, we had a lot of fun during Hack Week, but it wasn't, we didn't build the thing we wanted to open source quite. We, we kind of had to step back and, you know, rethink some technology decisions like, is gRPC for example, and protobuf, the fit for the communication when we want very broad adoption. So we, we went back and thought about some of those decisions. So that was kind of in between those 10 days, between the hack week and the later five days. To be honest, when we got that meeting of Lee came back and we gathered in a room and, you know, we're not releasing in September, we're releasing next week. I was more relieved than anything else because... <laughs> I mean, the pressure was off. We didn't have the pressure to build something by September anymore. Now it was just, yeah, we'll ship and we'll do it in the open, which, uh, I mean, I liked it. There was definitely a lot of, you know, well, not gray hairs yet, but there was some of that uh, (laughs) building in the open. It was tough, but uh, yeah, it was fun. That's that's relieving a little bit that you, uh, it took some of that pressure off. I didn't expect you to say that. Were you guys even still in the office at this point? Um... So we started out that work in the office on the 
the Monday, Tuesday, I think it was. And then Spotify kind of made the announcement, right, we're going to be working from home. So we all went to work from home, carried on through the week. And then that Monday after in the morning, I remember we all jumped on a Google Hangouts call and somebody hit the big button in GitHub to say, open the repository. And that was it. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about this first version of Backstage that actually went out. I think in the last episode, we talked about all the magic of Backstage internally and all the things it can do. What could this open source thing do? How different is Backstage today from what it was on that, I don't know, 11th day after those two 10-day stretches and then it was open sourced? Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) It's different. (laughs) Yeah, it's very different. It was, of course, you know, a lot closer to what the internal version was back then, which was a lot less built for a ecosystem of plugins and more just for what we do at Spotify. A lot of the initial work in the open source project was to open things up. So yeah, it was less of a framework, just more of an application back then, I could say. There were huge chunks of Backstage missing. Backstage does a lot of things. There's the whole creation side, there's the whole managing your services side, and then there's the plugin framework. And we had got like a handful of plugins, if that, together during the hack week. Something that you could build plugins into, but really there wasn't much more to it than that. So going early would mean that we'd have to probably rip a few bits out that were a bit too hack week, if you will. So we had a very early version of Tech Docs built. We made an attempt at kind of a generic builds CICD view during the hack week and standardizing that. Still something I want to do. Turns out it's really hard. So, so, so yeah, now we have more specific ones like GitHub Actions and so on. But yeah, that I can't remember if there was much more, like some hard-coded metadata views and whatnot. It was the, the backstage microsite and then basically a few demo videos, I think, of the internal backstage <laughs> of you know, just trying to share the vision. This is where we're going. You yeah, know, this is what we're really aiming a, for. A vision, a nice microsite, and a couple of small features. Tell me more about the reception of it that it got again. <laughs> Initially, we found it actually quite challenging trying to explain what it is we're trying to put out there. You've got the creation aspect of you can create all your stuff here. You can manage it all here. You can find all of this. You've got documentation. Like it was quite unwieldy to to message and explain what it is we were trying to do. And if I remember rightly. The Hacker News post, like it was super positive, but there were comments in that initial thread of basically this, people not fully understanding what it is that we're trying to do and couldn't this just be tool X or tool Y, etc. But I guess people must have understood it enough to begin using it and contributing to it. We've had over a year's worth of practice of trying to explain what Backstage is. And of course, the project is worlds apart from where it was when we first open sourced it. We've gotten a lot better. I think the thing that helped us there was actually that like the project went out, the Hacker News post linked out to it. And I think it was actually the engagement in responding and and answering people's questions and and having the conversations kind of set us up for the community. Like people could see that all the maintainers, Patrick included, were super engaged and super responsive and, and open to talking about it. And that actually kind of set us on a good path. That's really cool. Yeah. So you mean like the engagement from the maintainers with, I can't even really call it the community because at that point it was people commenting on Hacker News. Yep. It was people on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That engagement and then the the pace. You know, as soon as we like open sourcing it on that day, we didn't stop. Then it was into the next stage of, right, where are we taking it next? What's the next thing? And people could visibly see that. 
I don't know. I mean, Patrick, what do you think, mate? You were on the ground with it as much as me. We never got the chance to have a bit of silence, I guess, in the beginning of the project. Because that's the mindset that we were in, you know, that, okay, we, we're going to ship this thing and we're going to start building in the open, but nobody's going to care to begin with, right? And we get to just have it visibly built. But no, we got the response and we got people kind of streaming into the project and we got a lot of good ideas and like feedback. And it's great, you know, it helped us build it from day one, pretty much, with a big stream of issues and PRs. So we had to... Yeah, redo our entire project setup and build setup and all of those fun things. And that was a ride. You already talked a little bit about gRPC and how you use that for communication and the Hack Week project, but went back and forth. Were there other big technical decisions that you changed for the open source backstage from the internal backstage? Yes. So internal backstage, we had some of these core services. You know, we have the catalog, we have the scaffolder for software templates. They were existing Java backend services written in our internal frameworks. But at the same time as this open sourcing was happening, we wanted to change this service. What's in the open called catalog internally, we call it sysmodel. And we really wanted to evolve what that was capable of. So we ended up rebuilding that in the open. Sysmodel is our inventory and metadata storage for all of our internal systems and components within Spotify. If you want to know who owns something, you query out to Sysmodel and it will bring the response back for you. What was not good enough about the Sysmodel thing to just open source it and work on it in the open the same way that you did with Backstage? I guess it's split into two. It's the implementation of Sysmodel itself, which was a Java service, a very old one, and hacked together one with some very lightweight caching and based on data store from GCP, which isn't the most uh, high throughput storage option out there. Uh, so we, we were already having kind of technical issues with uh, Sysmodel internally. The other end of it was the metadata model, and it was very freeform. We have these files that describe all of the different components that exist. And there was a kind of facts field where you put whatever kind of data you wanted. And different teams had kind of invented different fields. And then there was not a lot of structure around it. So we that was kind of one of the things that we wanted to happen at the same time. Just um, putting a little bit more structure into how we define our software. That's really interesting. So it's like you wrote Sysmodel version 2 in open source to then actually replace Sysmodel version 1 internally. Is that a valid way of looking at it? Or was the software catalog really a brand new thing from scratch and it maybe replacing Sysmodel, but it's not really in any way Sysmodel version 2. The model was kind of Sysmodel v2. The implementation was brand new. And so let's talk a little bit about that, just maybe only for my curiosity. What sort of tech decisions did you make there? Like, what's the database backing the software catalog? What's the tech behind keeping the metadata model more structured than Sysmodel? So we went with a relational database, SQLite for development and, and Postgres in production are kind of the available choices right now. Early on, we introduced this concept of processors and validators and started hooking validation into the service itself. So Sysmodel was this thing that just went out and read a bunch of files and mostly didn't care about the contents of them. And the new catalog does a lot more in that process. When it reads files, it can make sure that fields exist and emit warnings and so on in a more powerful way and kind of make sure that the metadata is correct. It's also able to do more discovery at that time. So something we wanted to enable was to not have to put things in YAML. That's the best kind of YAML, the one that doesn't exist. 
So being able to discover things by looking at the JSON files in the repos and so on was something we got in there early on as well, and something that has been evolving since. And were there kind of big technical direction choices you had to make that were different, like aside from just functionality and features that SysModel may or may not have, that the software catalog does, are they significantly different architecturally or in the tech they're based on? So of course, one of the big decisions was just what frameworks, what languages do we use for building this in the open? We considered a couple of different uh, aspects there, both what's popular in open source and kind of what languages are easy to contribute to. This was going to be one project and we wanted to make it easy to contribute and understand the entire project in a way. So we had just been on a long ride of porting a lot of our code to TypeScript in the internal project. And we were quite in love with TypeScript at this point. It really helps manage larger code bases. We ended up choosing to write the backend services in TypeScript and Node.js, which I still think was a good decision rather than keeping it in Java. It does make it easier to contribute to the project as one thing. I guess it makes sense why you didn't use Java in the Spotify internal frameworks that might not exist externally. How did you decide specifically on Node? Did you guys have kind of a framework for making these decisions or a process? So there was an RFC request for comments that circulated around internally for a while. So it, we didn't take the decision lightly, although it was kind of our first hunch. I think we really started at what do we use internally at Spotify? And there is, of course, mostly Java. And then Go was used a little bit as well, which and really Go was the kind of big contender. We have a couple of people, myself included, in the maintainer team that are big fans of Go. So we were very tempted to go that direction. In the end, we felt that Node.js was a good decision because there was also a lot of expertise within Spotify. Even though it's not one of those technologies that we typically build backend services in, there's a healthy amount of uh, Node expertise within Spotify as well. You also touched on caring about which languages and which technologies are prominent in the community. Do you lean on the CNCF or any of the foundations in this space to get guidance or thoughts around like what's popular, what's the right thing to use, what things to kind of lean into? I guess if we would have gone to the CNCF, the answer there is no, we would have, uh, I don't know if they would recommend uh, anything, but Go, of course, is huge in the CNCF ecosystem. So again, being very tempted to go with Go, but we, we just didn't see that it was a good fit when we want this bridge between Spotify and the open source project as well. But was there much resistance within Spotify? I mean, you're trying to do something that is a different technology stack from what Spotify's blessed stack is. It's off of the golden paths and all of these things that people have talked about. And you went through some collection of tech leads and got, I don't know, I guess, some kind of blessing or approval. So what, what does that look like? We went to our technical architecture group, TAG, kind of suggested this way forward for the open source project and that we wanted to build it in Node, which is something you should do. You could phrase it like that. If you want to go off the golden path, the way we usually build backend services. And yeah, it was essentially that. We put together a document, an RFC, kind of highlighting why we thought that Java wasn't a good fit. And we wanted to go with Node and addressing some concerns, for example, about scalability. What kind of scale would we expect on these services? And is it going to cope with it? And those kind of things. And considering the extra maintenance burden, what things we would have to build to be able to support it and run it internally and so on. And then it's a discussion with the technical architecture group, and there was less resistance than we expected from there. And is there like some single sign-off you get or some point at which kind of you are blessed to do it? Or is it really just you've had this conversation, it went fine, so then you just kind of went on your way to do what you wanted to do to begin with? So we shared the RFC with a few of our principal engineers and then with our principal architect, NGN, uh, the company. And I remember 
having a meeting with him, kind of just running through the the high level bullet points and whatnot. And yeah, once we kind of got the sign off or the okay, if you will, from Tag and then from NGN, that was that was it. There's nowhere higher to go up the chain, so you're probably good. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. You had to kind of start building out this community and building out these features and PRs. What were the the first things you focused on and how did you kind of get from confused people on Hacker News to we have features and we have a community and it actually feels like a backstage community, not just people on the internet. Pretty early on, we set up our Discord chat room, which definitely helps with the kind of more direct uh, communication and community feeling, being able to, you know, go on off on, on any kind of tangents and threads, discuss more in depth and uh, more kind of quicker than you can do on uh, GitHub issues. So early on, we kind of had this polishing to do. We had lifted out a lot of code from our internal project at the time. And we had done this TypeScript migration, right? But it wasn't quite complete. So that's one of the things I remember early on that we got some big value from the community with people kind of stepping in and helping out just porting our existing JavaScript components to TypeScript. And that was one of those things where we had scheduled time for, and then people just swooped in and did it. And you know, thumbs up and we kind of went, oh, this is great. That is really cool. The result of obviously having two different tracks of an external version, if you will, of Backstage and then the internal is now we're also adopting the open source ourselves and kind of pulling that core across into what was the original Spotify. So looking at things like the tech underneath software templates, as an example, or the tech underneath the, the catalog, that is evolving with all of that feedback, with all of that input from the community in the open source. And already the functionality is more advanced than the original version, if you will, that we have inside of Spotify. That's an example of where we can bring stuff into Spotify and it benefits the engineering community within Spotify directly. The other angle, I suppose, is speed. One ticket particularly, we raised an issue into the open source repo saying, hey, we're interested in setting up dark mode. Anyone interested in helping us out with that? And we posted it, and I think we posted it with like wireframes and things like that, and just some colors and some tips, and you know, like here's the kind of thing we're thinking. And we posted that, and within a couple of hours, someone had picked up that issue, and within 24 hours, we had dark mode in the product. So that kind of speed and iteration and different perspectives from the community, I mean, it's it's exactly what we were looking for when we were thinking, let's open source. Let's use this bigger brain, if you will, of this community, not just ours. And whatever comes out the back end of it is going to be better than what we could do on our own. Okay. You guys have put a ton of work into this. Other companies have adopted it now, like Netflix, Expedia, Unity. How do we know this is useful? Is it doing anything? There was a, a bunch of metrics that were being tracked, but one particularly I still go back to is onboarding time for people. It's not a perfect metric, but we kind of defined this metric around time to 10th PR, and we knocked it down by about 55% at the time of open sourcing. And we could see the help Backstage was providing to the community through the, things like that metric, through tech surveys that go out to the, the company. And Backstage is always one of the highest ranked tools that we have at Spotify. And we started to realize, hey, maybe we can have this impact elsewhere. Maybe other companies are having this and maybe we can help them. And sure, there's other benefits in there, you know, like working with that external community and getting all of the input and kind of brain power there to make things and push things better. Knowing then what you know now, what would you have done differently? Probably a couple of things. We pretty much 
stopped developing backstage for Spotify, to be blunt. It was kind of in maintenance, but we weren't like building anything new and big and really supporting the community internally. And that's because we put literally everybody across onto the open source. I probably have started like, how do we align these things a little bit earlier than what we did? But really that's a pain point for Spotify. Nobody else has that pain point. Otherwise, the only other thing I'd have done differently maybe would have been started up our community sessions earlier. They're really useful. Like you get some really good conversations when we all get together and other people are demoing what they're working on or what they're building out or what they've got in their organization and we are. That's really informative and really helpful. One that's maybe a little bit silly, I guess, because we're not quite there yet either, is focus a little bit more on the documentation side of things. It took us a really long time to get an API reference going, for example, on the microsite, and that kind of helps drive just the creation of documentation. So putting more things in place for crowdsourcing documentation, that's one of those kind of pain points that still exists today. To be fair, documentation is probably a pain point that exists for every piece of software on the face of the earth. I'm curious, Lee, we started with you going to London and coming back and saying, let's just do this whole thing in a week. Look, looking back at it, whatever this is, 18 months later, Yep. was that the right call? After I'd met with Alexis, I actually went and met with a friend and we went for some lunch and we were talking a little bit about it. You know, we have this project, maybe we might open source it. And we're just trying to decide what we're going to do. And he brought me back to that thinking, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress. Like if we're going for September, maybe we are trying to head for perfection. So rather than that, do good, get something out, even if not everything is there. And it wasn't, you're going to get people interested. If you can give them that hook, this is where we're heading. Here's the vision. And then basically keep up the open, transparent committing to it. If we can go early, if we can continually improve on it and get that rhythm going and build that community around us, people will be interested. If we'd have waited till September, we'd have built what we thought was the perfect thing that people wanted to get going. In reality, we would have missed out on so much input from the community, so much feedback around you know, the weird and wonderful ways that people are using backstage that we would never have even thought of. So it was as stress relieving as Patrick said it was at the top from his perspective, as stress inducing as it was from my perspective of, oh my God, we've gone from, you know, having six months to five days, I wouldn't change it. And if we went into doing something similar now, like if we went in and said, right, we're going to open source this other project, I'd do it in the exact same way. I'd also add in that what we had planned for the September release was not done by September. Very true. <laughs> Dare I ask if it's done now? I think, yeah, I believe it was more like end of year or something like that. Thank you both for coming on. This has been really great. Thanks for taking the time and just listening to us waffle about backstage. Yep, thank you. Great to be here. Aside from programming, what else do you like to nerd out about? So I'm really into home automation system. It started out switching out a few lamps and now most of the apartment is, is automated. I have a server running a small Kubernetes cluster and then I have Raspberry Pis kind of littered around the apartment for controlling some things and then also smaller ESP8266 microcontrollers for controlling a motorized lamp and controlling some other switches here and there. Pretty much all of the lights in the apartment that I've been able to switch out. There's a big nanoleaf panel that's lighting up the apartment in different colors, depending on uh, what mood I'm in. 
The kitchen lamp is this IKEA. It's one of the like the Death Star lamp that I motorized so that it can expand and contract. I have a stream deck hooked up to like instant Spotify playlists, hooked up to a Chromecast, so you can hit one of the buttons to turn on the playlist. I've tried to do blinds, it's so difficult. I'm not finding any hardware that can do it for me. In a future episode, we'll talk with Spotify engineers about what it's like building backstage in the open with a large worldwide community and how open source can be a great way to grow as a developer. Nerd Out at Spotify is produced by Spotify's Ted Vergakis and Seaplane Armada, who also wrote our fantastic theme song. Special thanks to our guests for this episode, Lee Mills and Patrick Oldsbury. I'm Dave Zolotuski. Thanks for nerding out with us. <laughs>